Introduction and Preface of Life in Mexico This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Life in Mexico by Francis Calderón de la Barca Introduction by Manuel Romero de Terreros, Marque de San Francisco Every man I will go with thee, and be thy guide, to thy most need to go by thy side. Francis Calderón de la Barca, born in Edinburgh, 1804, the daughter of William Inglis. After her father's death, she settled in America, where she married the Spanish diplomat, Don Ángel Calderón de la Barca. She accompanied him on his various appointments to Mexico, Washington, and finally to Madrid, where she was created Marquesa de Calderón de la Barca by Alfonso the Twelfth, and died in 1882. In the year 1843, two new books took the American public by storm. One was Prescott's History of the Conquest of Mexico, and the other Life in Mexico by Madame Calderón de la Barca. William Hickling Prescott was already known as an able historian on account of his scholarly reign of Ferdinand and Isabella of Spain, which had appeared four years before and elicited praise from all quarters, but his new work outran the former in that the author had succeeded in depicting one of the most stirring episodes of history, with the grandeur of an epic and the interest of a novel. It was therefore natural that a book with Prescott's endorsement should be favorably received by the general public, but life in Mexico immediately attained wide circulation on its own merits, and was received with unbounded enthusiasm. Soon the slight veil that pretended to hide the author's name was drawn aside, and Madame Calderon de la Barca became famous in literary and social circles. Frances Erskine Inglis was born in Edinburgh in the year 1804. Her father, William Inglis, belonged to a distinguished Scottish family, related to the Earls of Buchan, and was a grandson of a gallant Colonel Gardiner, who fell in the Battle of Prestonpans, while her mother, a Miss Stern, before her marriage, was a celebrated beauty of her time. Fanny, as Frances was familiarly called, was still very young when her father found himself in financial difficulties, and decided to retire with his family to Normandy, where living was supposed to be cheaper. But William Inglis died a few years later, and his widow determined to settle in America. In the United States, Mrs. Inglis established a private school, first in Boston, later in Staten Island, and finally in Baltimore, and her daughter was a great help, for she immediately revealed herself as an excellent teacher. Besides, Fanny became a great friend of Ticknor, Lowell, Longfellow, and especially of Prescott, who thought her ever lively and spiritual. In 1836 a special diplomatic mission from Spain arrived at Washington, and at its head came Don Angel Calderón de la Barca, a gentleman of high social standing and an accomplished man of letters, who naturally enough soon established literary relations with William Prescott, then at work on his history of the reign of Ferdinand and Isabella. In this connection he became acquainted with many of Prescott's friends, the English ladies among others, and the result was that he fell in love with the accomplished Fanny, and married her in 1838. Shortly afterwards, Don Angel was appointed Isabel II's minister to Mexico, the first Spanish envoy to the young republic that had formerly been the kingdom of New Spain. 
the newly married couple accordingly started on their journey to Mexico, which was destined to be a long one, even for those days, for they left New York on October 27th, and did not reach their destination until the 26th of the following December. Calderon's mission to Mexico lasted somewhat more than two years, during which time he and his wife, says Prescott, lived much at their ease and were regaled in prints. In spite of Don Angel's delicate diplomatic duties and her own frequent social engagements and strenuous excursions, Fanny Inglés Calderon found time to write almost daily letters, most of them of considerable length, to relatives and friends. These letters constituted the basis of the present book when they were collected and published, with certain necessary omissions, simultaneously, in London and Boston in 1843, under the title of Life in Mexico, during a residence of two years in that country. The book was provided with a short but substantial preface by Prescott. That same year saw Don Angel Calderón de la Barca transferred to Washington as Spanish minister, a post in which he not only discharged his diplomatic duties with much ability, but also frequented the literary circles and even found time to translate several works into Spanish. In 1853, Calderón was recalled to Spain by his government and arrived at Madrid on September 17th with his wife, who had recently become a Catholic. A year later, he was appointed Minister of State in the cabinet of the Conde de San Luis, and thus became an actor in the troubled drama of that period of Isabel II's reign. When finally the unpopularity of the government culminated in a general rebellion, Calderón managed to escape the unjust fury of the rabble, by hiding first in the Austrian, and later in the Danish legation, until he was able to cross the frontier and take refuge in France. The events that Madame Calderon had witnessed in Spain moved her to write that entertaining book, The Attache, in Madrid, which, pretending to be a translation from the German, appeared in New York in 1856. The Calderons were able to retire to Spain after an absence of two years, but in 1861... Don Angel died at San Sebastián, just when he was expecting to move to a small villa which was being built for him nearby in picturesque Zaraos. Hard upon this event, Madame Calderón retired to a convent across the Pyrenees, but shortly afterwards Queen Isabel asked her to come back and take charge of the education of her eldest daughter, the Infanta Isabel, a request which, though at first respectfully declined, was finally accepted by her. From that time on, Madame Calderon became the constant companion of the Infanta Isabel, until the latter's marriage to the Count of Guerenti in 1868. She then returned to the United States, but only for a comparatively short time, for as soon as Alfonso XII came to the throne, Madame Calderon went back to Spain, and was created by him Marquesa de Calderon de la Barca. Thenceforward she led a very quiet life until her death in the royal palace of Madrid, on February the 3rd, 1882. Any radical change in the form of government is liable to be accompanied by disorders, and this is even more likely to be true in a country like Mexico, which has become famous for its frequent political troubles, and has been aptly called a land of unrest. In the 1840s, the country witnessed many plans, pronunciamentos, and revolutions which could not escape the vigilant mind of Madame Calderon, who often refers to them with a spice of delicate satire and irony which is not unkindly. After the long period of peaceful, if unexciting, viceregal rule, 
The government of the new republic had become the prey of political groups, headed by men who coveted the presidency, chiefly impelled by a vaulting ambition, which in most cases overleapt itself. Madame Calderon drew faithful portraits of many of the politicians of those days, not stinting her praise to such men of honor as Bustamante, nor hiding her sympathy towards the much-reviled Santa Ana. Naturally, as the wife of the Spanish minister, she feels occasionally bound to dwell somewhat disparagingly upon the existing state of things, as compared with the excellencies of the former visceral regime. Thus, on visiting the older cities and establishments, she lays stress on the great benefits that the mother country had bestowed on her colonies, an opinion that, she states, was shared by the most distinguished persons in Mexico, who missed the advantages of the days of yore. I fear we live in a paradise lost, she exclaims, which will not be regained in our days. But this does not mean to say that she withholds praise where praise is due. On more than one occasion she extols the valor of a soldier, the talent of a minister like Cuevas, or the honesty and clear-sightedness of a politician like Gutierrez de Estrada. And when she refers to the rivalry that arose between the different parties, she has unbounded praises for the cadets of the military school, for their patriotic conduct and their loyalty to the legally established government. In Madame Calderon's time, the Mexican upper classes were an extension, so to speak, of the old visceral society. Only the very young had not seen the Spanish flag flying over the public buildings or had not been more or less acquainted with the last viceroys. The presidential receptions of a Bustamante or a Santa Ana in the National Palace, just as during the short reign of Augustine I, de Torbid, were ablaze with brilliant uniforms, glittering decorations, fine dresses, and rich jewels, while at private parties the old family names and titles continued to be borne with the prestige of former colonial days. On the other hand, the relations between lord and servant are faithfully portrayed by Madame Calderon de la Barca. Speaking of life in a hacienda, she describes how the lady of the house sat at the piano, while the employees and servants performed the typical dances of the country for the benefit of guests and relatives, without suggesting any ideas of equality or disrespect, more or less in the fashion of the Middle Ages, when the lord and the lady of the manor sat at table with their servants, though the latter remained rigorously below the salt. With regard to the lower classes, Madame Calderon always sees the picturesque side of things, which she describes vividly and colorfully. It is to be regretted, particularly from a Mexican point of view, that Fanny Inglés, or editor, should have thought it expedient only to give the first and last letters of the names of the more prominent persons of whom she speaks, a system which makes it difficult for a reader of later days to identify them, except in one or two cases. Many were the intimate friends of the Calderons, but especially the Conde de la Cortina, a well-known figure in society and in literary and scientific circles the Marquis and Marquesa de Vivanco, and the Guerra Rodriguez, the fair Rodriguez, a celebrated beauty of her time, who is said to have been greatly admired by no less a person than Alexander von Humboldt himself. Naturally enough, Madame Calderon was a competent judge of her own sex, and was alert to the good qualities as well as to the foibles of the ladies of Mexico, whose excessive fondness for diamonds and, in some cases, too showy dresses elicit her mild criticism. Monastic life was one of the features of Mexico at that time. Most cities, large and small, were full of churches, monasteries, and convents, and Madame Calderon, who became a Catholic three years later, 
was not then well acquainted with the ceremonies and liturgy of the church, and consequently falls into many errors on the subject, but when she describes her visit to a convent and the ceremony of the veiling of a nun, she writes some of her most picturesque and touching pages. Madame Calderon does not stint her admiration for the great buildings of the country, both civil and religious, though her descriptions betray only too often the influence of the romantic age in which she lived. Beautiful indeed, as is her description of a garden in Tolansingo, she rises to real eloquence before some of nature's pageants, admiring a sunset over the monastery of San Fernando, walking under the shade of the centennial trees of Chalputepec, or wandering within the gigantic caverns of Cacahuamilpa, the recollection of which, she says, rests upon the mind like a marble dream, and where an unfortunate traveller, years before, had lost his way and met a tragic death. Prescott's statement that Madame Calderon's letters were not intended originally for publication seems hardly credible, but, on the other hand, there is no proof for the suggestion that she had the letters of Madame Dolnoy in mind. Be that as it may, the fact is that, just as the French countess has left us a living picture of Spain in the late seventeenth century, in the same way the wife of the Spanish minister drew a most faithful pen-portrait of the social, political, and even economic order in Mexico in the early nineteenth. As to Madame Calderon de la Barca's personal appearance, since a portrait of her, which is said to exist in the possession of a relative, has never been published, the reader is free to imagine that lively lady as it may best suit his or her individual fancy that she was clever, well-read, and an excellent judge of character, as well as a true lover of nature, and a keen observer of manners and customs, is evident in her letters, which constitute by common consent a most entertaining and truly delectable narrative, which even the lapse of more than a century has not been able to mar. Preface the present work is the result of observations made during a two years' residence in Mexico, by a lady whose position there made her intimately acquainted with its society, and opened to her the best sources of information in regard to whatever could interest an enlightened foreigner. It consists of letters, written to the members of her own family, and really not intended originally, however incredible the assertion, for publication, feeling a regret that such rich stores of instruction and amusement from which I have so much profited myself, should be reserved for the eyes of a few friends only, I strongly recommended that they should be given to the world. This is now done, with a few such alterations and omissions as were necessary in a private correspondence, and although the work should derive more credit from the author's own name than from anything which I can say, yet as she declines prefixing it, I feel much pleasure in making the statement by way of introduction to the public." William H. Prescott, Boston, December 20, 1842 End of Preface End of Introduction of Life in Mexico